Welcome to the Badass Breastfeeding Podcast. This is Diane, your lactation consultant. And this is Abby, the Badass Breastfeeder. And today's episode is brought to you by Original Sprout. Original Sprout's newest addition to its family of vegan products is the Bundle of Joy. And today's episode is also brought to you by Fairhaven Health. If you love lactation tea but hate the taste, nursing time tea is for you. And we will hear more from our sponsors later, but you can head to badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com and you can check our sponsor page if you need anything. See if you can give them any of your business because they make this podcast possible. And while you're there, you can scroll down and enter your email address and we will send episodes straight to your inbox every week. And now Diane has our review of the week. Yes. And did this come to you through Instagram? Where did this come from? I believe it was Instagram. Yes. Okay. So this says, Hey, Abby and Diane, let me start off by saying how unbelievably freaking amazing the two of you are. The knowledge and passion you have for breastfeeding radiates. And every time I listen to your podcast, I instantly get so amped about my current journey. My son just turned five months old, which means we've made it five months exclusively breastfeeding with no end in sight. And I honestly have you and your podcast to thank for that. I was recently told by our pediatrician to not feed the baby at night anymore because five months old, breastfed or not, need to learn to sleep through the night and that I should let him cry it out. I simply smiled and nodded. And when we left the appointment, I told my husband we were transferring to a different pediatrician. I thought back to all of the information given in so many of your episodes about how it's normal for breastfed babies to wake for feedings at night. Now, crying it out is basically your baby crying until they realize no one is coming. It's because of your words that I felt confident enough to disagree with the pediatrician and confidently give reasons to my husband as to why we need to transfer. This is just one of the many ways you ladies have helped me, and I know you've helped thousands of other women in similar situations across the world. Thank you for all you do and all you believe in. You both are truly badass. This is amazing, and I love it when. When we're able to empower somebody to to be like, this is not, this doesn't feel right to me. This this information you're giving me doesn't feel right. Whether it's your pediatrician or your mother or your sister or your neighbor or whatever. Yeah. To be able to be like, you know what? I don't feel like this information is right. I don't, that's not what I'm doing. And I honestly, like when I read that, I was like, I wish I felt like that when I had my kids. I really do. I really wish I felt that confident when I had my own kids. And it is really hard to be to not listen to what somebody else is telling you and just go with what you feel is right for you. Um, That's a really difficult thing to do. It is. And it's really sad. It's really sad. It's like, I feel like this is the time where you need the most support and it's where you end up doing the most fighting for yourself and your family. You know, like you're just like pushing against, you end up pushing against the grain. Sometimes maybe you don't, but if you're breastfeeding, you probably do. If you're co-sleeping, bed sharing, whatever, you probably do have to push through um, this. And it's like, it's not fair. This is not the time where I should have to be like dealing with all of this. Right. But I think that's what really empowers people. It's where a lot of people really find their like inner mama bear. Yeah. For sure. I think, I don't know, mine didn't come out until my kids went to school and I had to start fighting for them there. I think that's where mine really came out. I mean, it probably came out a little bit. Like, it definitely came out a little bit um, when they were babies. But 
I think I did count on a lot of other people to help guide me because you do, right? You you really do. Yeah. Um, but then when they went to school and I was trying to navigate through that, um, I think that's where I really started to step up and like open my mouth about stuff that I didn't like or that I thought needed to, you know, that wasn't right for my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. Like we were talking about in episodes recently, you know, like in the, um, the episode we just did, the breastfeeding, uh, expectations. breastfeeding expectations. I totally forgot. It was like five seconds ago. Um, the breastfeeding <laughs> expectations. <laughs> it is like, you kind of expect things to be a certain way and they're not. And it's, you know, like you don't, one of the things that I meant to say during that episode and totally um, forgot was that you don't have to like every stage that you're in. You're not you going don't have to. to. No, you're not going to. And I think we think we're supposed to. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm supposed to love this. People like, it always amazes me when people say, oh, I love the newborn phase. I'm like, really? Oh, no, I, I didn't hate oh, it. Oh, no. I, hated I hate the it. newborn stage. It's too vulnerable. It was too scary for me. I didn't like it either time. <laughs> the second time didn't was like better, it. but I didn't like it. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't like it. Oh, I hated it. Yeah. I did not like it. I felt like I kind of got robbed at every stage. You know, like I really didn't like the newborn stage. I really had a difficult time with that. Hated it. I did not have a good time with that. And then when we were in like the toddler stage, mm-hmm. I was getting divorced. So oh, it was oh. really hard to enjoy that yeah. stage. It's hard and to enjoy that stage anyway. It, it is. But when you're like, like little... Have, sh- <laughs> Right. They're terrible. Like they're little terrorists. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, obviously couldn't, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to navigate through that when I was going through my own personal issues was a really difficult thing. And then, you know, that those ages between like, you know, five and 10, I was a single mom. So that sucked. Yeah. And, you know, then you hit the teenage years and who likes that? (laughs) You know, so it's like, it's so... I feel like I thought about that one day and I'm like, God, I hated like every freaking stage. Like, I mean, there's definitely like, you know, it's not like I hated my kid's upbringing because I really didn't. But it is okay. Like, I'm actually in a place where I can be like, you know what? It's okay that I really didn't like those, you know, those stages and there's other things going on. And it's really hard to like love every minute of your parenting journey. Yeah. You're um, just not going to. You're, you're not, not going not to gonna happen. Yeah. But when people are back there, you know, kind of saying, Oh, you should be doing this. You should be doing this. Your baby should be doing this. Like that makes it that much harder because then you feel if like that, you're if your baby's wrong. not doing it because yeah. sometimes like, and that's why maybe sometimes, you know, people don't feel like they have to do a lot of pushing back because people are like, well, your baby should be doing this and they should be doing that. And maybe your baby's doing that. Because that happens right. sometimes. Like your baby should be eating this amount of times. It should be sleeping this time. And sometimes just babies do that because it's like a huge spectrum of what normal is. And so sometimes they just do that. Sometimes babies are real laid back. Sometimes they're born just kind of like chill, you know. And um, sometimes people have my first one was a highly sensitive baby who didn't. Who I didn't understand and who didn't sleep, you know, in without me who didn't, you know, he was doing all of these things that were not what they were telling me he was supposed to be doing. And so then I was like very confused mm-hmm. and had to learn, you know, had to go through a whole thing. So, I mean, it really just depends on what's, you know, going on with you because sometimes people breastfeed and it just works out. Yeah, I know it's weird, but like my <laughs> fr- I even have a friend right now who who both times she breastfed and it, it just, it, you know, she had very few problems. It worked out really well, you know, and she just didn't have a lot of issues. And like, 
you know, sometimes if you have a friend like that, it's like really annoying. Yeah. You know, because because you're like, why is that not happening for me? But every once in a while, it just kind of the baby's just kind of going along, going going with the flow, and everything's okay. Yeah, there's a lot of times where I'll say to people, "You have a perfectly normal baby." Yeah, yeah, you know, because right. they'll be like, "This is what the baby's doing," but and I'm like, "It sounds like a pretty normal newborn to me." Yeah, pretty yeah. normal baby. Um, yeah, whether but, sleeping a lot or not sleeping at all. <laughs> yeah, and we're gonna. We're going to kind of talk. So I know we talk, we talk about sleep a lot because it's such a huge, um, huge issue. But sleep patterns and self-soothing. So I have a confession to make. Oh, that's so, exciting. Make it. I know, right? It's not going to be as, you know, I hope it's juicy. Dark. It better be juicy at this point. <laughs> really is not that juicy. <laughs> when, when I think of self-soothing, I don't think of sleep. I don't yeah. think of them as connected, but then I'm doing, I was doing some research on it and everything, like I was like pulling up actual research studies about self-soothing and it was all of them were connected to sleep, not all of them, but the majority of them were connected to sleep. To me, self-soothing is like that baby that is calm and collected and doesn't need a lot of anything. You know what I mean? Like they just can, they're just like content. They're content without being held by you 24-7. They're content without being at the breast 24-7. They're content. Like, that's what I kind of think of as self-soothing. You can put them down and they're just kind of kind of like look around, like be fine. That's kind of what I feel like is self-soothing. I don't think about the sleep piece of it. But obviously, oh. that's a huge thing because if babies yeah. aren't content, they're not going to sleep well. But I just never really, I just don't think about it like that. I just always think about it as like, oh, your baby that's self-soothing has learned to be content by themselves. Like all the mm -hmm. time, not just for sleep. I yeah, think self I don't know. Everybody maybe has a different. different I feel think about people what do have different is. ideas of it because I also think that it's a bit of a myth. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's not. It's not who nobody really like self soothes. Right, we're always doing it with other people, and this is how babies learn about soothing themselves. I think of soothing as something that you do kind of in response to being upset mm -hmm. or something so, that you do to to get from one state of not calm to calm. So we were, like I was telling you, like we had a, a wedding yesterday. Uh, my mm -hmm. stepdaughter got married. Tom's daughter got married and we got back from the wedding and um, I wanted to sit in the hot tub for a few minutes because it was just, you know, a long day or whatever. And, dressed up and in shoes and all that stuff. So I'm like, I'm just going to, I want to sit in the hot tub and he can't, cause he, you know, he had a knee replacement. So he's still to the point where he can't um, like, you know, do anything like that until it's like fully healed. Mm -hmm. So he was sitting, um, he was sitting on the patio and I was in the hot tub and we were talking and he goes, what are you, what are you going to talk about tomorrow on your podcast? And I go, we're going to talk about self-soothing. And he goes for the mom or the baby. He goes, and I'm not saying that to like, he goes, I'm honestly asking I'm seriously asking, like, who's mm -hmm. self-soothing? And I go, the baby. I go, but, you know, I don't even know how to self-soothe either. <laughs> he was like, yeah, that make, the other about makes sense. Like, who does kind of thing? And it's like, that's really, it's true. Like, we're adults. How do we self-soothe? I don't know. Well, we all do. And we, you know, we do. In unhealthy people, ways, probably, right? Like, I mean, I mean, a lot of times that is what happens. People, mm -hmm. you know, drink. Or, um, 
smoke or or have sex with strangers or I don't know. Or Xanax. You know, people do all or, yeah. Xanax, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I mean, the, the whole concept of self-soothing is, is just kind of strange. Again, the whole word, the whole, just the word itself, self-soothing is like, first, babies can't do anything for themselves. Well, why would we expect well, a baby not, to be able to do that? Well, That's exactly. And crazy. this is where the whole, yeah, the whole kind of, I don't, I found a quote on the internet that I just loved, which I think was where, because we wanted to do an episode on sleep, but we weren't sure, like, because we've done so many of them, we were like, what, sh- what area of it should we talk about? And this is what it really, like, kind of honed it for me, because this quote by um, Rachel Sampson, I don't know, she's an Australian psychologist, it says, the capacity for self-soothing is born out of hundreds and hundreds of instances of being soothed by someone else. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing. Many of us haven't been soothed by somebody else when we were infants. And so we don't know how. We don't know what that feels like. And so when we talk about like babies, you know, babies need to, babies need to cry it out so that they can learn to self-soothe. Babies need to sleep in a separate area away from you so they can learn to self-soothe. Toddlers need to, you know, get it together when they fall so that they can, you know, learn to self-soothe. This is not how people learn to regulate their emotions throughout their lives. No. People learn to regulate their emotions throughout their lives by being with someone who is regulating their emotions, an adult who is regulating their emotions, and being with them. And for infants, this is going to come from breastfeeding. And mm-hmm. no, this is comes down to like, you know, um, we talked, James McKenna says that um, um, there is no such thing as sleep. There's no such thing as breastfeeding. There is just breast sleeping. And being latched on and falling asleep is really the beginnings of attachment and soothing and learning that feeling, learning about, you know, relationships. It's really the foundation of really everything that goes on throughout your life. And, you know, many of us were not, did not go through this, you know, being constantly soothed as an infant toddler child. And so we have a lot of, you know, we don't know how to get there. We don't know how to get there as adults without some assistance, usually from substances. It really is about your baby feeling safe and secure. Like that's the foundation, right? Like they're building a relationship with you and they're learning how to feel safe. They're learning how to feel secure and they get that by your constant responding to their needs. Exactly. Like it's, this is very baseline. Like this Mm -hmm. is not, you know, it is, it, it really is very baseline. But like every action gets a reaction. So you respond to your baby's needs. They feel more secure. You respond to Mm -hmm. their needs. They feel more secure. So it's like you're building this relationship with them. And I kind of try to think about it as like, think about like your relationship with your partner. Like you don't just meet them at a coffee shop, you know, one day or, uh, you know, whatever. And just the next day you're living together, planning a wedding. Like you need time to become Mm -hmm. 
to become a relationship, to be, to trust each other, to feel secure in that relationship, to feel safe in that relationship, to be vulnerable in that relationship. Like you, this is what your baby's doing. That it's not like, it, it's a very, very baseline stuff. It's not like we need to really look really deep into this and be like, oh, the baby should just know how to do this. Well, how? Yeah, but it's funny. It's funny that you mentioned that because you're talking about adults Gain, you know, having the right to and the need to feel safe, to build a relationship and all of that. But w- when it comes to a baby, then we don't allow it. Right. We're like, no, that baby should be sleeping. You know, that baby needs to cry it out. That baby needs to learn how to be independent. That baby needs to learn how to self-soothe. This baby needs this and this baby needs that. When you don't even do that to your adult partner. Right. You don't just say, oh, you need to learn how to deal with that on your own. Who does that? Right. You're right. If, if your partner comes a- to you and says, I had a really tough day today. Can we talk about my future with my company, with the company I'm working for? You don't say, you yeah. need to figure that shit out for yourself. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Good luck to you. That is the perfect segue to the story that I want to tell. And <laughs> should we do that after the ad break and yeah, keep everybody hanging? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll be right back with a really awesome story about when I was a teenager. Woo! Uh, today's episode is brought to you by Original Sprout. Original Sprout carries safe, effective, and pediatrician-tested shampoos, conditioners, styling, and body care products produced and packed in California, USA. Original Sprout's newest addition to its family of vegan products is the Bundle of Joy. This is a woven basket full of Original Sprout's products, Swaddled in a white hand towel and fastened with a big chrome f- safety pin. The bundle of joy makes the perfect baby shower gift or just a great way to say congratulations to the expecting mom in your life or yourself. With a retail value of over $135, it's being offered at the introductory price of $74.99. But as a badass breastfeeding podcast listener, you can take an additional 25% off of this introductory price. Visit originalsprout.com and use promo code BADASS and get this bundle for $56.25. That's a total savings of $60, making it affordable to give the gift of clean and safety tested personal care products to those you care about. That's originalsprout.com code BADASS for like the biggest deal. That is a it's a really deep, good deep discount. Uh, today's episode is also brought to you by Fairhaven Health. Do you love lactation tea but hate the taste? Most lactation teas have an earthy flavor that some people do not find refreshing. Fairhaven Health Nursing Time Tea is a caffeine-free, all-natural herbal lactation tea with a light lemon taste that you can enjoy. Nursing Time Tea is made with herbs such as fennel seed, Go through and blessed thistle that have been used for centuries to support healthy milk supply and soothe an upset tummy. All ingredients are high quality, organic, wild crafted, and contain no preservatives or additives. Nurture yourself and your milk supply with nursing time tea. It can be made hot or cold, which is awesome for when you forget about it. It's a great way to maintain your hydration while supporting your milk supply. Head to fairhavenhealth.com. That's F A I R H A V E N health.com and use code. Promo code BADASS for 15% off of your purchase. And today's sponsors and their promo codes can be found in our show notes at badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com under this episode. 
Our show notes will also include information uh, about things that we talk about in this episode and at badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com. You'll also find our breastfeeding resources, all of our other episodes, and information about scheduling your very own one-on-one online lactation consultation with Diane. All right, I got to hear this story. Superstar. Okay, this (laughs) this story is about Amanda again. And so... Amanda, I've talked about her a lot on this podcast. She was my bestie in high school. I was two years ahead of her. And when I was 17 and she was 15, I was in 12th grade and she was in 10th grade. We became friends. Like I knew of her and like, you know, we knew of each other, whatever. We went to super small school in Amsterdam, the International School of Amsterdam. And um, I was like, just, I was like, I'd been, in, I'd been there for like a year or whatever. And, you know, as everybody knows, probably the marijuana is <clears throat> very accessible. And Amanda came to Amsterdam like a few years before that, very experienced in smoking marijuana. She <laughs> is from California. She did it all the time. Started when she was like 12, whatever. She was like just, you know, a pothead. And I had never smoked pot before. And so she goes to me, we start hanging out. She goes, um, do you want to come over? Do you want to come over and smoke some pot? And I was like, oh my God, okay. Um, and we just like knew, like, we were like, we knew that this was like the beginning of our friendship and we were just going to be like best pals. We just kind of knew it. And so I go to her house, her parents are out of town and we go onto her balcony and we start smoking. I start smoking first time ever. And after a while, like, I don't feel anything. We're kind of walking around and I'm just like, I don't feel anything, which is apparently common when you're your first time. So we go out a little while later and smoke again you know we start we smoke more and so now i'm like i'm just standing on the balcony and suddenly i'm like oh my god i have to sit down and so i go into the there's like these french doors out onto the balcony so i go in through these french doors and i start i start to like my can't feel my legs my legs just start (laughs) to turn to like noodles and I'm like, oh my God, I see a couch. I see like the back of a couch. And I'm like, I need to make it to the couch. I just need to make it to the back of the couch so I can hang on. And like, I'm walking, I'm wobbling, I'm wobbling. I make it to the back of the couch. Barely. I have my hand touch it and I just fall to the ground. I'm falling. I fall to the ground and laying on the ground. And Amanda is next to me. She's like, uh, we're both cracking up. She's laughing so hard. She can't stand up. She's just like laughing so hard and also freaked out like, oh, my God. And she's going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Are you OK? Are you OK? And I'm laughing on the ground going, I um, I come. Uh, uh, and it, we're, it's like quite a scene. Right. But Amanda, a 15 year old high. And laughing is still really concerned about me. And it's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Are you OK? This is a normal response that we have to people around us. Someone falls down. You go, oh, my God, are you okay? Or you see someone crying. Um, are you okay? Or you see, you know, something happens. You know, your partner gets fired. Oh, my God. You know, their parent dies. Oh, I'm here for you. This is Mm -hmm. normal things that we do in our life. And that I was like saw- a bit of a stretch, but it was a funny story that totally related eventually. Oh, it totally. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it we totally does. do not give this to babies. It's actually a miracle that any of us can do this. I know, right? At all. 
I saw something recently and your your story like made me think of it. Um, I can't remember where where I saw it, but it like was it was kind of like a light bulb moment for me where somebody said, as human beings, when we're in danger, we look to somebody else. We uh-huh. look for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Like if you if you think about all those situations, um, you know, in the world where there is like a catastrophe or there is something horrible that's happening. There's somebody's afraid, somebody's scared, somebody's caught up in something. You're looking around for somebody else. You're not just like running free on your own. Right. Like you are looking for that connection with somebody for else. Other like, safe humans to be around. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You are looking for somebody else to help you be safe. And then we have a baby and we're like, this little fucker's on his own. Yeah, because I'm yeah. not dealing with his bullshit. You need to like, lay in your crib and learn how to self-soothe and you need to be independent. Yeah. Otherwise, you know. But this is, again, the independence is what we do. We miss this. We miss it. We miss the mark so badly that mm-hmm. independence is not grown out of being left alone. Independence is grown out of having your needs met repeatedly over and over and over again every time as, as, a, as an infant on up. And independence is also a little bit of a myth, too, because nobody is completely independent. Nobody's completely independent. We no. are dependent. Co- we are dependent on each other. We are interdependent. And it's a good thing. That is the normal way humans are supposed to be. This whole idea of independence, I don't need anybody. That's not that's a trauma response. That's actually yeah. a trauma response of right. not having your needs met. Right, exactly. I mean, you hear that all the time. People are like, I'm never dating again when they come out of a yeah. really bad relationship. I'm never dating again. And it's like, that's a trauma response because you just got out of a freaking nightmare relationship. Like, that's what you hear. Yeah. And this is kind of, you know, it's the same type of idea. Um, when you look at, it's it's actually kind of, it wouldn't be, it's funny only because I work in this field, but if I were like looking for information on self-soothing, this would not be funny. So when you look at, like, if you Google it, all this stuff comes up. Diane loves to Google shit and see what happens. (laughs) I do. Because sometimes I'm like, this really is stupid. I don't know why I do that to myself, but I do like to see how much crap is on the internet. do it all the time. And I was like, this is really bad information. But like, there's all this stuff, um, you know, when can your baby self-soothe? How old How old should your baby be when they can self-soothe? Five steps to teach your baby how to self-soothe. And of no, course, the what? first thing that comes up is like, not, you know, taking a pause before you respond to them. Oh, The God. idea that people are putting out there is if you leave your baby alone, they'll learn how to self-soothe. But if you go on Google Scholar, which is another favorite of mine. I don't know if anybody's a fan of Google Scholar, but I really do like them a lot. So if you go into Google Scholar and you put in infant self-soothing, actual research studies with actual people will come up instead of these blogs of people that just think they know what they're talking about. And those research studies will tell you that babies that have self-soothed or that babies that are more content are babies that have been responded to from their caretaker. Like that is what you're finding in actual research. As yeah. those babies have been responded to by a caretaker. And that is why. And, and like some of the research studies even said, like the b- babies that were not self soothing or that were fussier, I should say it that way, fussier, not sleeping, but ba- you know, all that stuff. 
are involved or are, are part of families that are more chaotic or the mother is struggling with maybe a, you know, a, a mood disorder. Nobody's responding to this baby. Um, those are the babies that are fussier. Those are the babies that are not settled. Those are the babies that are not self-soothing. And that is what research tells us. But when you look at these blogs, they tell you, you need to leave your baby alone so that they can figure it out. It is so insane. The disconnect that goes on from like science to reality. It really is. It does not match. And I mean the, the, um, the Academy of, I, I noticed that the American Academy of Pediatrics made another Facebook post. I mean, it's not new. Their policy is, you know, and it says, it says, it said, you know, bed sharing is, a, you know, very dangerous. You're risking your child's life. Don't do it. Da, 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 da. When we know that it's not that simple. There are right. situations where bed sharing is unsafe, but bed sharing in a safe environment Science tells us that that is a protective factor. So, I mean, I know where the disconnect there is. <laughs> and I mean, there are situations yeah. where it's not safe and there are people yeah. who, you know, shouldn't do it. Like if you smoke or, you know, on certain medications or you drink or your bed is, you know, water bed or, you know, these situations are not are not safe. But but there is such a disconnect. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the self-soothing... W- <laughs> Your 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 baby, it's very normal for your baby to be very wakeful in the beginning for quite a while, mm-hmm. maybe a long while. I mean, I think it was probably, I think Exley was like four when he stopped nursing through the night. And that's just unacceptable for some people. People are, some people are like, I can't do that. And right. that's Okay. But let's we have to we have to understand what is normal before we can say this is you know this is not normal and something's wrong and we need to you know I don't know we need to intervene or something's wrong with my child. One of the um, things that I realized after I became more educated in this field, um, my twins were pretty good sleepers. And I always felt like, oh, I'm so lucky. Like, because I had, you know, three kids in two years and that was just really a blessing. They slept together. Mm, I kept them mm-hmm. together all the time. Like they, they literally, like people, I would tell people like, be like, oh, did you know, did you keep your twins together? Did they sleep together. They slept together for probably 13 years. Mm, like mm-hmm. they just, they always slept together. That was their comfort. That is what they were used to, especially as newborns. But like they had each other, like they had each other, yeah. you know, so that was soothing for them. They didn't need to do anything else. They didn't need anybody else that, you know, for that kind of a thing, for them to feel Mm -hmm. comfortable, for them to feel secure because they had each other. So that I didn't, you know, I didn't have to worry about, but how is that any different from like me needing to do that if it was one baby, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it's just... I don't know, like, I just don't understand sometimes, you know, and and so one of the things we also, I know I'm all over the place, but one of the things that I talk about, like when I do prenatal stuff is how skin to skin in that newborn phase, like as soon as a baby's born, like they put the baby right on your skin. Um, this isn't something that they were doing 
you know, even 15 years ago, but it's really like come a long way, like all the research on skin to skin and how important yeah. it is. But we do know that one of the, some of the research that's been done with skin to skin tells us that babies that are skin to skin more learn how to regulate better. Oh, yes, and exactly. They cry less the first year of their life when they are skin to skin early and often. And that is just because they are in their place where they are safe and secure. So why would they cry? Why would they? Why would they, they are soothed? They are soothed. Right. And they learn that, but they don't do it by themselves. But we're in this in this society that's like they should be doing it by themselves. You should be able to put them drowsy but awake so that they can figure out how to fall asleep on their own. Yeah. I was like, I, my baby better be asleep when I put them down. Otherwise, they're not going to go to sleep. You know, like yeah. that was my thought process on it. How do you right. how do you not put a baby to sleep by nursing them? Like, how is that not a thing? Right. Why do you not want to? I mean, yeah, I want to do whatever it is that makes my child go to sleep the easiest. And Exley just turned eight and he sleeps with me. And he's, you know, I'm like, you know, he has a bed. We talk mm-hmm. about him sleeping in his bed and he just says, I'm more comfortable in here. And I'm well, like, okay, that's what sleep is about. Yeah. You can't sleep if you are not comfortable, if you don't feel safe. Your body doesn't go to sleep if you don't feel safe. And so, I mean, I, you know, I'm like, all right, that, that's what you should do then if that's how you feel comfortable going to sleep. And you will, and, and he'll eventually move to his own bed. There's no such thing as like a 30 year old man who's sleeping with his mom. <laughs> it's not a thing. It's not. Although, it's not although do you remember that um, there was that photo going around of um, this like older woman laying in bed? There were like remote controls and stuff around, and there were her two grown sons were sleeping next to her. And I can't, I can't remember what the story was. The tori- story turned out that there was some kind of loss in the family. Like maybe the dad had died or some, somebody, somebody, there was some kind of loss. And the boys, these grown men were sleeping next to their mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I have a f- friend who, um, they're, she got three kids, um, a good friend of mine and, um, her husband, the kid's dad ha- was hurt at work pretty significantly. Um, and the kids all just like slept with, they uh, for a long time like just would go and sleep with her and they were teenagers at the time mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he was fine like he turned out being fine or whatever but whenever they got scared or they heard about somebody else having like that kind of a, an accident mm-hmm. or whatever they would just go right back with their mom because they would just be you know just feel scared and, and need that yeah. need that comfort again they just needed that comfort again to feel safe and it, if you really think like i'm kind of thinking back to all the times that i didn't feel safe and it's like you it's so it's such a i mean obviously a scary feeling but even as an adult it's like oh my gosh when you don't feel safe right and, you're and by being yourself, alone makes yeah. you feel more unsafe yeah usually when we feel unsafe like you said we gravitate towards other people yeah like if there's you know you're home watching a scary movie right you're like oh, oh wait i need to go in the other room with the with the people right exactly I mean, so one of the things that I'm thinking of too right now, I had a, um, I saw a family the other day and, um, you know, and they were, you know, so great and very responsive to their baby. And the baby is like a week old. 
And the mom said, I'm looking forward to when I can put her and start wearing her. That's what she said. I'm looking forward to when I can start wearing her. Mm-hmm. And um, I go, why, why, why can't you? You know, like what's, what's going on yeah. there? And she was like, well, all the wraps and stuff say that she has to be eight pounds. And I go, well, what, what kind of a carrier do you have? And she goes, well, I have a, a Moby. And I'm like, you're slapping that thing down. Like, that's just a wrap. Like, that's not a structured carrier where she needs to have right. all sorts of head control. Like, this is just a wrap. But mm-hmm. it says on there, you have to wait. Like, everybody puts this fear into you that something's going to happen to your baby if you do something with them before this little piece of paper says you should. So I was like, no, like, just make sure she's tight in there and she'll be fine in a Moby wrap, like as a newborn. Absolutely. Right, don't go to sleep. I mean, like, right. you're no, going to be just- awake. Like you're going to be able well, to see that she can breathe and stuff. Right. So it's, and it's like those little things where it's like, okay, that's a great way for her to, you know, develop that connection with her baby and to oh. keep her baby close to her all the time and feel like she can still do other things, but her baby feels safe and secure because she's right there attached to her mother. But this thing says we can't do it until the baby weighs a certain amount. So, you know. I'm like, no, it's it's fine. Like it'll be fine. She's close. <laughs> She's like seven and a half pounds. She's fine. You know, like, but <laughs> you really feel like it's just like we just get so scared that something's going to happen. But what would happen if we don't do those things? You know what I mean? Like, if we don't keep our baby close to us, people are like I can't keep my baby close because I'm too afraid that society tells me they're gonna. I'm going to kill my baby and smother them while we're sleeping. Right. Yep. 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 But what if you don't keep them close to you? What happens then? What's the alternative? Yeah. You know, like it's just, I remember somebody saying one time who was a very huge proponent for infants sleeping alone. And she was like, I just wish we could put all the babies, just, you know, put them in a place where they'd be safe by themselves in a bubble. What? (laughs) And I looked at her, like, I legit looked at her and I go, we would be, we would be raising a society of sociopaths. Seriously. Seriously. That's what we're doing. Why do we think babies are safest away from us? And, you know, again, to refer back to that Rebecca Meeky episode where she talked about how, like, the whole, you know, in, like, the 1800s, it was, you know, it was very, like, um, this is where this whole idea came from, like, keeping babies separate. And... You know, yeah. they were better off away from us. I mean, it's if you so want weird. Your, it is. And if you want your baby to be self-soothing, whatever that might mean to you, you got to respond to them. And yeah. that might sound like an oxymoron, but it's really not. You're developing a relationship with them and they need to feel like they're safe. They need to be like, oh, I know if I need my mom, she's right there because she's always responded to me whenever I've needed her in the past. So I'm fine laying here by myself, but I know if I need something, she'll be coming for me. That's how they're feeling. Like that's how it should be, but they're not going to get there by you ignoring them. They're going to get there by you responding to them. Yeah. I think the word self-soothing is like, I just think the whole, they're so problematic with just the word itself because when your baby is nursing and soothing themselves, that's what they're doing. They mm-hmm. are self-soothing by nursing or they are self-soothing by being close to you. 
And I know that people are feeling like, because a lot of times when, when we talk about this, you know, with new, when I talk about this with families of babies that are newborns and they're like, I just can't do that. I can't be constantly let my baby on me all the time. I can't, I'm tired. I have other things to do. You know, I need to do all this other stuff. And it's like, I don't know how to fix that for people because I, I get it. You know, I was there, but I don't want to be like, well, this is what you signed up for. Suck it up, buttercup, because this is it. But it's like, I don't know. It's so, that's why things like putting your baby in a wrap so that you can get things done is really helpful for stuff like this because then you still have your baby with you and you can still do some things if you really feel like there's stuff that needs to get done. But your baby is not going to be better off if you just leave them somewhere and you go do what you need to do. Yeah. This is also why it is never, ever helpful to keep family planning and talks of, you know, health talks and all of this like away from kids because we're afraid that they're going to have sex and have babies. No, th- all we're doing is making them think that it's no big deal. Right. People need to understand this is what happens when you have a baby. This is what you're going to need to do when you have a baby. People are going to be able to make a better informed decision about whether they really want to do this if they have the information. Right. Because we don't know. Like we go in and we just seriously don't know. Oh, totally blind. Yeah. Totally blind. But your baby is not, you know, you're, I think it's, yeah. The takeaway is when your baby is, when you are meeting your baby's needs and you are responding to their needs, they are self soothing. That is them. That's learning how to soothe themselves. Mm-hmm. There is never any need for them to be alone or for them to cry by themselves. There's nothing like, you know, helpful. There's nothing they're gaining from that. And usually what I see is that parents already know this. Like, just like that review that we read, yeah. she knew it. And when that pediatrician said that to her, she's like, this isn't right. And mm-hmm. I have had parents always say, that, well, This is what I was told to do, but it just doesn't feel right. And it's like, then it's not right. You know, and and that always is revolved around letting your baby cry, leaving your baby by themselves, not picking them up when they need it, not feeding them for comfort. Like you can't come, you know, like don't let them comfort suck, all that stuff. Like that is, you know, like that just doesn't feel right to me because it's not right. If it doesn't feel right to you, it's probably not right. But that's your inst- that is your like primal instinct saying, "I need to respond to my baby." Mm-hmm. But people tell you that that's not the right thing to do, and that's where we're wrong in our society. We're just wrong with that. It's not helping anybody. So true, man. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.